This is the Media Mix. Thank you for staying in the mix with us these past weeks. I'm Claire Atkinson. AI has become more than those two letters. It's become the theme of 2020. In this episode, we're going to share some pretty interesting examples of how it's routing the creative advertising business. We talked to one ad agency which is particularly passionate about AI, Goodby Silverstein and Partners. They work for the likes of BMW, Frito-Lay and Comcast and are one of the go-to agencies if you want to make a high-profile Super Bowl spot. And while AI is rewriting the playbook, so were the ongoing Hollywood strikes, which is making planning for those expensive commercials starring famous actors really difficult. The actors' union SAG is vowing to remain by the WGA's side in this fight for better wages and regulations on the use of artificial intelligence by the studios. Today, we're talking to Jeff Goodby and Chief Creative Officer Margaret Johnson, and they are big proponents of innovative technology and have been hearing a lot from out-of-work Hollywood talent. They've been working closely lately with OpenAI on projects for the Salvador Dali Museum in Spain even bringing the artist back to life to chat with visitors. On a more serious note, you might be thinking, dude, where's my job? That's the title of Jeff's latest speech to the ad business in Australia. Both he and Margaret share ways you can AI-proof your career. They've also got some fun stories to share about what happened when they gave AI the brief for the Got Milk and the Nike Just Do It campaigns. Find out who did it better, the humans or the machines. We all had breakfast this week. We had a good chat about artificial intelligence. Let's start with Jeff. You are, first of all, Goodby Silverstein is the Super Bowl creative agency. If you want a commercial made for you that's going to get attention in Super Bowl, Goodby is the place to go. You've made very memorable spots starring Lil Nas X, Sam Elliott, Megan Thee Stallion. Um, these Super Bowl spots are going to be remembered for years. I certainly um, loved the Lil, Lil Nas X was one of my favorites that year. Um, I think it was 2020. Um, but before we get to that, Jeff, can you're, you're headed to Australia. You're about to give um, a talk about artificial intelligence in the advertising creative world. What are the things that people should know about it? There's obviously a lot of fear and loathing out there, but there's also some extremely creative uses for AI. And in my chat with Margaret the other day, we were talking about how you guys have been using it for quite some years. It's not something new to you guys. And so let's start by talking about what you'd like to say to the folks of Australia about the artificial intelligence world and how it's used for creativity in the ad business. Well, I think the big question that everybody has, Claire, is, you know, is um, what's going to happen to my job? Yes. Will I still be able to work? And uh, in fact, I, I, I entitled this talk, Dude, Where's My Job? <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and that's what I'm going to talk about. And I, and I think that there are things that we can all do to, um, to AI-proof ourselves. But in the end, and as Margaret said to me the other day, everybody is going to have to learn to learn to work with AI and make themselves better. You're going to have an AI assistant. I'm going to tell these guys about how, you know, the, the, the humanity is still important. The human element, the AI does not have emotions. AI does not have a past. 
AI does not have the, the, the past that you have where you grew up and all the things you know. Those are the things to use with your AI assistant and, and amplify them, you know, and there's still a lot of, uh, a lot of decisions to be made. I, I did something in the speech where I, I actually put up the, I'm going to put up the Got Milk logo, which is from our place. And, and I asked ChatGPT to write a two word ad that fills you with doubt about whether you have enough milk in your home. Okay. And uh, I'm sounding kind of needy, but it, it did not come up with got milk. It came up with milk check question mark. <laughs> okay. Milk check. Hmm, I think got milk's better. <laughs> and I had such fun doing that that I thought I would do it um, in honor of our unfortunately deceased friend, Dan Wyden, and um, try to try to see what um, the AI would do with uh, just do it in the same situation. So I asked it, asked chat to write an ad with fewer than three words that encourages you to do an athletic thing you know you should have done by now. And um, chat came up with run now. (laughs) 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 It's not nearly as good. Not really. So, you know, we still are going to, you know, if I, if I ran, if I ran that milk prompt a hundred times, got milk would probably come up. Okay, but I would still have to be smart enough to go. Oh, that would be useful. I'm going to use got milk. That's a, that's better than milk check, you know. And um, so we still have roles. That's the important thing to remember. So Jeff, let's talk about entry level jobs. How might they be affected by AI? I think entry level jobs in so many businesses: advertising, journalism, um, script writing, TV, um, all going to be affected because. The AI really can do a pretty passable job of writing those things that you have to write when you first get a job at a radio, a TV station, newspaper, advertising agency. I'm afraid the AI can do that stuff really well and reproduce it and make it for lots of different media immediately. I mean, I I did a little a little test uh, recently with uh, with one of our Comcast ads right, where I took the strategy and I just put it into chat to see if it could write an ad for it. It did it immediately, very passably good job. I mean, you know, it's not just do it, but that's not what it's about. It's about, you know, getting a piece of information across clearly. And unfortunately, that's, um, that's those jobs are going to be more and more and more rare. And those are the, those are the jobs where people learn, you know, where they where they have mentors around them and can learn. They can't just, you can't just step into a, um, an agency and be working for Margaret at at a at a lower level and and you know it, you you need time to learn the job. Yeah, what would your advice be to somebody who's trying to get their foot in the door right now in the advertising business? What's going to impress you? I think Margaret, you should just say that thing that you said about using the AI. Yeah, I mean, I think my advice would be embrace AI. Don't run, run straight for the fire. Don't run away, right? Because the humans that are using AI are going to be replacing those who don't. So tell us about some of the the positive use cases for AI and some of the things that you've been doing over years. Uh, Margaret and I had chatted about the Doritos Triangle, some of the work that you've done with Snap. Can you describe some of those uh, initiatives? And again, like we're all talking about AI right now in this year, but Goodby has been working on AI campaigns and augmented reality campaigns for quite some time now. Yeah, I mean, we 
have been using AI with Frito-Lay, for example, since uh, 2018. So long time. Um, and it kind of all started out with us um, proposing to Frito-Lay that we start something called the 10% brief. So we would take 10% of the work that we do for Frito-Lay and it just, it's an open brief. So we would come to them proactively with ideas that sat in the innovation space. And more times than not, those things centered around AI or AR. One of the first things that we did uh, for them was something called Cheetos Vision. And uh, it was really an AI camera that just turned the world into Cheetos. So anything that you shot with this AI camera, it would come up in the form of Cheetos. So kind of, I mean, technology's come so far since Mm -hmm. then, but it's like, you know, a a pretty cool example of something we were doing, you know, five years ago. Is that still available, Margaret? Yeah, yeah, it's still still on the App Store. Yep. I just just wanted to tell people that thing is awesome. I had nothing to do with making it. And it's especially (laughs) awesome if you have children to entertain. Like you're at a restaurant and you want to shut the kids up. (laughs) <laughs> Cheetos Vision is the thing. Is I'm that the name you. of the app? If people want to go and search that up right now? Yeah, Cheetos Vision. Cheetos Vision. Okay, that sounds like a cool idea. And and tell us about the Snap example too. And you had some role in, in kind of educating the clients here as well. Yeah, you know, um, last year during the Super Bowl 2022, we, uh, we, did, uh, we were doing a, a commercial during the game with, with Megan Thee Stallion and a part of the spot was um, doing a remix of Salt and Peppa's Push It. So Megan's covering this song, remixing it, and the, the creative team said, oh, wow, that, you know what would be really cool is if we um, created a music video that we could then drop during the game on an actual chip. And so the, the team goes up to our innovation lab. We have an innovation lab within, within the company and said, hey, is this technology possible? Could we drop a, a video actually on the, the product? So turning the chip into an actual media channel. And the lab goes away and, you know, they tinker and they started uh, playing around and, and ended up creating this pretty, you know, crude but awesome prototype that actually worked. So then we went to Snapchat and we were describing the idea and we want to launch this during the game. And, and Snapchat said, it's, it's not possible. It can't be done. So then our lab ended up being the, the, the very people, the, the engineers in the lab, educating Snapchat on actually how the technology could work. So that was pretty, pretty awesome. And we ended up doing exactly that, dropping the video during the middle of the game. And it was a, a huge success. So it's the middle of summer and folks are already talking about Super Bowl. Do you think AI is going to be a big creative theme next year? I know it's early days, but it feels like that's the the buzzword of the marketing business right now. Well, I mean, Jeff can speak to this too. Like when we were at Cannes, like literally every conversation there was around AI. People were joking about it. Like, okay, you'd sit down at dinner. It's like, okay, we can talk about everything except AI. Like we're just tired of that. So I assume that <laughs> during the Super Bowl, it'll be, it'll be everywhere. I think the key will be like, how do you do it differently than everyone else? Like what's yeah. going to make your, your version of it? Here's, here's my prediction. Yeah. My, my prediction is that um, we're, 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 we've now jumped the shark and there are going to be three <laughs> commercials on the Super Bowl making fun of AI, <laughs> making fun of us using AI 
to, to make terrible commercials. Watch. Three, three minimum. Yeah. Minimum. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, I had a look at your efforts on behalf of the Dali Museum. Uh, Dali, of course, we're talking about Salvador Dali, the painter, the Spanish painter. And you made him come alive and he spoke to me in, uh, with a Spanish accent. And it felt like I was watching somebody who was alive. Um, tell me a little bit about that work and in what sense can AI get scary or a little bit unethical in terms of um, use cases? I mean, it was fun to watch Salvador Dali. Of course, I know he's passed away, but um, tell us about the Dali Museum effort to turn dreams into art. I love this example. Well, there were two examples of it. One of them is we, um, we wanted to make, try to make a full-size, life-size version of Salvador Dali um, and and have the computer have have the AI machine learn Salvador Dali's face so that we could put that face with what they call deep fake people know that now put that face actually on an actor's face and whatever the actor did Dali's face would do well it turned out that there were a handful of interviews um, with Dali when he was alive looking into his face so we found those we enhanced them. We gave them to the computer. I mean, the, the the thing was machine learning for like two weeks to learn to learn his face, every single little iota of his face. And so, when you go to the Dali Museum and you you encounter this thing, you actually encounter an image of what Salvador Dali actually looked at looked like when he was around forty years old. I mean, it's not it's not a thing that's kind of like what he looked like. It's exactly what he looked like. And, um, and in order to have the voice work, we actually did a lot of voice casting in Barcelona near where he grew up and found somebody that sounded just almost exactly like it. And, um, and the guy's terrific. And, you know, when you go into the museum, there are three different boxes that Dolly is in. And you kind of walk up to a box and push a button. And Dolly's off in the distance and he walks over to talk to you. He struts over. And he welcomes you to the museum and he tells you what's in the museum today. First of all, um, he's carrying a newspaper that is the Tampa Bay Times for today. So it changes every day. He's carrying today's newspaper. He talks about today's events. Um, you go inside and he tells you what's in this gallery and what's in that, that gallery. And um, he tells you where the men's and ladies rooms are. And... Um, <laughs> It's like he's that's like, about as personal as it gets. <laughs> yeah. if, if you need poo poo or pee pee <laughs> down the hall, that's what he says. But then the, the yeah. really most the mo most mind blowing one is the final the final kiosk. As you leave the museum, there's a full size dolly, and he says, "Thank you so much for coming here today. Would you like a selfie with Dolly?" And people are like, "What could this mean?" And he pulls a pulls a uh, an iPhone out of his pocket, and he turns around, and he goes, "Okay, let's go." And he lines it up, and he takes a selfie with you, and he's in the selfie. He's like, and he's different every time. It's always different, and the people are actually in the selfie with Dolly, and Dolly like looks at it, and sometimes he rejects it. He's like. No, this is not good. We have to do another one. So <laughs> and, that's very lifelike. This, it, yeah, and you, you know, there's like there's a code, and you can go in and get to get the, the photo texted to you as you leave the museum. 
people freak out. I mean, that that really is the most amazing thing. I mean, it happens right there, like he's right in front of you. Um, and and so, the other thing that you were referring to, Claire, is yeah, you can go in and a, tell people about your dreams in the museum. Yeah, we did it. We did another thing called the Dream Tapestry that is still there. These are these are still existent in the in the museum if you go there. And the Dream Tapestry has six kiosks. Um, it's a project that we built with Minds Over Matter in Berkeley and, and OpenAI. So it was really the first big collaboration we did with OpenAI. And, and Margaret and I have gotten to know them really well since then. Um, but uh, they, they put together this thing whereby there are six kiosks around the room. You go up to one. You put in a description of a dream that you've had or would like to have up to 350 characters. And there's a painter that's selected for the day or actually a painting style like cubism or naturalism or uh, um, expressionism. And the painting, the painting style of the day will paint your dream in front of you on a, geez, it's, a, it's like a it's 45 or 50, 50 inch <laughs> TV. Yeah, it, but then, really interestingly, the last six dreams that are registered in the kiosks are stitched, are stitched together into a tapestry on the wall that's 12 by 12 feet. So you see your dream stitched together with, with five other people's dreams into this big tapestry, and you can take that home electronically now. So that is very yeah. cool. And, are they and doing you know NFTs? what? It's kind of, pardon? Are they doing NFTs? Yeah, they're, they're going to do NFTs of these things because they're so popular. And, you know, they, they you, you can see all of these things. I believe they've got them all available on their website, or they did, you know, like thousands and thousands of them. And what's interesting is that people's dreams are kind of, they kind of have a theme every day. You know, if something really bad happens in the world the day before, people come in with dreams that are that are doomsday kind of you know depressing and if something good happened they're happy dreams and it's really interesting the difference in one tapestry to the next yeah according to the mood can you yeah. share any of your dreams jeff <laughs> well he might I, not I, want to I, go there I, I've, I've, I've avoided that yes uh, margaret who would you most want to bring back to life in ai oh my gosh um wow I don't know. Probably like somebody like Harriet Tubman or somebody like that. So they can like somebody who like kind of went through hell during their day to come back and see like, you know, how far things have come. And yeah, somebody like that. Yeah. Uh, Since we're on uh, the topic of women, Margaret, you developed a project with your daughter about telling women's history. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I have a, um, well, a little backstory on that. I, I did a, uh, was asked to do a talk at, at Cannes probably five or six years ago. And, um, they wanted me to talk about being a woman in advertising and how do you balance it all? And you know, that anyway, and I was telling my daughter that, that this was, was happening and she was like, that sounds like a really, really boring talk. <laughs> And not what I would want to go see. So anyway, um, I was like, you know what? You're, you're exactly right. That is boring. So I thought, you know what? You, like, people would probably rather hear from you and like other 
daughters, what it's like to have, you know, a mom that, that holds down a big job and, and how that feels and what it's like. So anyway, we ended up, um, inviting, uh, uh, I invited six CCOs and their daughters to come up on stage and they kind of went from nine years old to 21 years old. So to hear the perspectives of all of these girls was, was really interesting. And we called the panel daughters of the evolution. Well, coming out of that, um, it was so popular. We ended up taking it on the road. And by the end, my daughter and I were like, you know what, we should turn this into a nonprofit. And so we did. And our nonprofit is called daughters of the evolution. And the mission of, um, of the nonprofit is to help our daughters create the world they want to live in. And the first thing that we put out into the world was um, an AR app uh, called Lessons in Her Story. And it was kind of born out of something that really happened. Uh, my daughter was in the fourth grade at the time. She was nine years old and she was studying for a history test. And she's like, why are there no so few stories about women in this book? And we kind of did the math on it. And it turned out that there were only 11% of the stories in this whole book that were about women. So we created this app to uncover these stories of women who've been forgotten from history. And it, the way it works is pretty magical because it's very simple technology. And um, we actually developed it with our innovation lab here in-house at GSP. And you just, with your phone, you hover over a picture of, you know, Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or, you know, one of the, the greats from, from history that you see in a lot of these books. But then what springs up is um, a, a story about a woman who did something equally awesome at the same time. So anyway, super simple to use. Um, we're in talks right now with the Smithsonian about potentially doing the same thing in their portrait gallery. Um, we're pitching it as an episodic series. So there's a lot of, a lot of cool things happening with it. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, you guys have a lot of comedy writers since you write Super Bowl spots. I was wondering if the Hollywood strikes have had any impact on you or are companies coming to you saying, can you help us? We can't get writers, actors. Like, Jeff, is a, are you seeing any extra business? Are you feeling the impact of the strike in any way? I'm getting a lot of calls from writers who want to um, come work <laughs> here. <laughs> um, seriously, no. I am. Because there's um, no work, and, right? And, Nobody can work. Yeah, I'm, here's here's what it's affecting. I think is um, is is the Super Bowl spots that are about to be made that include like name celebrities. Okay, like if you if you have a spot that is um, that doesn't include celebrities, you can find a way to make it. I guess overseas, non-union, whatever whatever the workarounds are. But if you have Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, you can't do that spot this year. And, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of scripts out there that just are not going to happen because of that. Or people are praying that the uh, strike ends. And, and I do pray that it ends, too. But the issues, I mean, you know, we are talking about AI. The issues are largely around AI and the size of the writer's rooms. You know, they're, they, the size of the writer's room is being constricted by the use of AI and the possibilities of AI to write um, at least a first draft of a, of an episode. And it's, um, it's, it's affecting people again. I mean, the, the, you know, the things that I've been telling people about how to AI proof yourself, one of the biggest things you can do is to champion the difference between good and great. Like 
the human is the one who decides the difference between good and great. So if you are, you know, um, one of those one of those big showrunners that really does know the difference between a good script and a great one, um, regardless of where it comes from, from a human, from a human plus an AI, um, it's up to you to make that decision. And we can't lose that. We can't lose that decision. That don't settle for good. And, and the world is full of reasons to settle for good, as we know. Unfortunately, that's that's um, that's what everybody everybody's just fine with good. And in yeah. fact, the AI is probably going to make us even more fine with good because we won't know what great is in so many instances. And we have to keep pushing to always get great. Yeah. You know? So, so you guys advocate for. Hollywood writers, actors, or people in the ad business to get their feet wet with AI, learn it, know it, become really good at it, um, to protect yourself from being made obsolete, I guess. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I we, to say it. <laughs> we always, we're saying around here, you know, everybody's worried about AI and losing their jobs, but the only people who are going to lose their jobs are the people who aren't using AI in the creative world. So uh, our POV on it is you have to you have to embrace it. And a big yeah. part of that is just educating everyone on how to use it and why it's valuable. Yeah. Are marketers saying this year, well, I can't get this actor or star. I'm going to use an AI something or other instead. I haven't heard that. No. Yeah, and I, I don't think that. it's I don't think it's going to be legal. I think it's going to be very hard to sneak that by anybody. I see. Um, you know, I think I think that there is another thing that's going to happen is we, we think of AI as AI, but I think there'll be lots of different brands of AI with different specialties. So there'll be AIs that are good at humor. You know, there'll be good at, there'll be AIs that are good at writing dialogue. There already are AIs like Midjourney that are good at visuals, you know, at uh, machine learning visuals. So these, these LLMs, these large language models are not all the same. You know, they, they can scrape differently if they're programmed differently. And I think we'll all, you know, we're all going to start diff- like noticing those differences in wanting a certain brand. One of the things that Margaret and I have been talking about a lot is like branding AI. Nobody's really done a branding job for their version of AI. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, you know, ChatGPT, Bard, um, all these different, the, the names are there, but there's not really a brand for it for them in, in what's different from one from the next. You know, I mean, I think that's going to be, um, it's going to be a big job over the coming year. Is that an opportunity for you to pitch them? Shit, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Right? <laughs> Don't tell everybody. I'm like, say yes. <laughs> well, um, you know what? It is, yeah. it is kind of interesting. I did a, a panel and, and, and Jeff introduced it at, at Cannes with OpenAI and we were talking to Brad Lightcap, the COO, and one of the, the neat things about working with a company like that is that they get so ex, you know excited about creativity. You're talking about a group of engineers who are great at the tech piece, but like when it comes to actually creating something magical, they're just blown away. We worked with them on the dream tapestry that Jeff mentioned earlier. And I mean, they were just blown away that like, their tech could create something so magical. So in a world of like creating, you know, a story around a company um, like OpenAI, it's just, I don't know, it's a great opportunity for us because 
the things yeah. that you can create for them, the story that you can tell about them is, is really rich. How did that friendship with Brad Lightcap at OpenAI come about? And he came to Can With You, right, to discuss advertising yeah. and AI. Well, I mean, we first met them doing the, the Dream Tapestry project. So we, you know, just got to know them over the months and months that it took to, to get that thing off the ground. And then as AI kind of, you know, exploded and something that, that seemed like science fiction became a reality overnight, we uh, decided that, you know, talking about it at can would be a great idea and invited Brad to, to be a part of that. Jeff, you know, we, we started off by talking about the fear of losing your job. Can you tell me how AI is used in ad agencies? Are they doing scripts? Are they producing storyboards? Um, are they working alongside staff or are they, is AI generating its own content? Um, it's there. We're working alongside different brands of AI to make things, you know, and what I've been seeing, it's not necessarily like script writing, not, not humor or something, but headlines um, being written and a lot, a lot of imagery being created. A lot of, a lot of imagery for storyboard. I mean, you can, you can just get the AI to make a storyboard for you in very little time um, by describing exactly what you want the board to be depicting and in what style. And um, I see that a lot. Um, you know, somebody just 15 minutes ago showed me, I asked them, you know, what's the final scene of this film going to look like that involves a bunch of um, planes in formation and a little girl flying one of them when you cut inside? They just made it. They just showed it to me. It's <laughs> yeah. absolutely uncanny. Well, I think that's the interesting thing is that you can see the creatives who are embracing it, especially the art directors, are pulling ahead of the ones who who aren't. And mm -hmm. they can see the value in it because the stories that they're bringing to life, like Jeff just described, are kind of hard for a lot of clients to understand. A lot of them aren't visual people. So now to be able to, to show them, okay, this is exactly how the story is going to unfold they are like more willing to, to buy it because there's a lot less uncertainty around it. It's not scary anymore. So those creatives are selling, you know, more ideas. I see. And, and like, let's talk about time compression a bit more. Like how, how fast can you make a Super Bowl commercial? How long did it used to take you before and how long does it take you now? I don't think that the AI has necessarily sped up the time it takes to think up or, you know, kind of sell and, and produce um, a Super Bowl spot, it will start to do so for sure. I mean, there are little things that it has done, like making storyboards and so on. But I think that um, the process is still the same. But what's happening now is you go, okay, our Super Bowl commercial is about this. What else could we do in the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl or the weeks after the Super Bowl or during the Super Bowl in social media with this character that we have here, let's say, or with you know, there's a there's a dog in this commercial, really cute dog. What can we do with her on social media? And, and, and I think that's what you're going to see. And you're going to see programs. I mean, we are doing this programs that start um, at Thanksgiving and go all the way to the Super Bowl and after, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, through the holidays and all the way to the Super Bowl and after. So it's not just a 30 second or one minute spot. It's like, a two or three month extravaganza in <laughs> the AI is really going to be aging in that for sure. Yeah. T tell me, um, are more people rushing to Super Bowl 
Uh, obviously, the spots only get more expensive every year, but there's not many places where you can get 100 million viewers. Um, what's your sense of next year's Super Bowl, which is on CBS? Um, are clients saying we got to be in or are they thinking about it? Can you share any thoughts as to how popular next Super Bowl is going to be for advertisers? I mean, I can just speak from kind of what we're seeing in our experience, but we're doing more Super Bowl, you know, <laughs> initiatives this year than we've ever done. So more, more than any other year. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, I think brands, a lot of them have been super conservative just because of COVID and then the uncertainty, you know, <laughs> with just the, the environment that we've been living in. So I, I feel like economically, so I, I feel like now this is an opportunity for them to come out big. And to your point, like there's so, your audience is everyone, right? Everyone from toddlers to great grandparents. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for brands to kick something off big. So not use it just as a moment to like do a spot, but like, yeah, kick off a campaign that's going to, the ripple effect is going to last the whole year. I think of a Super Bowl spot as something that people watch like as an individual, but you also realize that millions and millions of people are watching it at the exact same moment that you're seeing it. So people start amplifying that message now on social media. The second that it hits the screen, people are, are texting about that little dog or, you know, how cute the little kid is. And then the thing lasts afterward and you go, it's a, it's a, we call this mass intimacy here, which is, we say it's, it's something that like reaches millions and millions of people, but just seems to speak to you and you hold it and want to share it with people. You know, you just can't wait to share. And um, in that effect, I think is, um, is really big in the Super Bowl. And there's no other there, you know, there are places like the Oscars, there's some sporting events that, that you can get that in. But, you know, live, live TV is especially good for that mass intimacy feeling. Yeah. Are we going to see folks doing much with threads this Super Bowl? I don't know about threads. I feel like it's not gaining the momentum that, <laughs> that they hoped. <laughs> do you think people will stick with Twitter instead then? If I do. I yeah. do. It's a, you know, it's a platform they know. It's super effective. I, I think they'll go all in on that. Yeah. E even though it's called X now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Always forget. I think. I think. I mean, I, I actually think it's an interesting question, Claire, because Threads got a real lot of initial interest. Considering, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I think that a lot of people are kind of disappointed in Twitter X now, and you know, they're they are looking for something else. And I don't own stock or anything. I'm just speculating, but I, I do think that there there will be a little bit of a a bump for Threads. I bet, you know. We'll see. Yeah. Jeff, Margaret, it's been so wonderful to chat with you. Good luck on all your AI projects. And thanks for helping illuminate them to listeners. It's really good to kind of hear the projects that you're working on and hear how it's being used for good. Um, maybe we'll do a, a, an episode on uh, deep fakes next time. Um, but thank <laughs> let's you. follow up. Yeah, let's, let's talk again. Thank you so much for joining the Media Mix. Really appreciate uh, your time. Thank you, Claire. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Claire. That was fun. AI isn't new, but it's become a topic of conversation among many circles in the media and advertising world. It has been a driving force this year and is likely to continue.
For more on this conversation, check out the Media Mix newsletter on Substack and be sure to subscribe there and to this podcast. If you have a guest idea, pitch us at themediamixus at gmail.com. And before we go, I wanted to thank you all for listening and adding this podcast to your mix of audio programs. We are planning to have a conversation about the audio industry. So if you've got thoughts, reach out. What do you like, love, or wish podcasts did more of? We're also preparing for a short summer break soon, so get your thoughts in as quickly as possible. Thanks for listening. And as always, thank you to my wonderful exec producer, Jamie Maglietta, and producer Raymond Hernandez and production company Situation Room Studios. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.